And uh, as we go through the life of Joseph and really study the character of who Joseph was, and uh, I, I enjoy doing character studies throughout the Bible, really, and looking at, at different people in Scripture and looking at their life and looking at their character and looking at the things that they didn't even really, some of the mistakes people made, that it's so good for us uh, to learn from other people's mistakes. If you learn from other people's mistakes, you don't have to make those mistakes and learn from them. And uh, really, that's the easier path in life, okay? Uh, so if you look at that, that's certainly helpful. Genesis chapter 39. And as you're turning there, uh, this doesn't have anything to do with the message, but uh, my, I was at Thanksgiving with my dad this week, and, uh, and he found this and he read it, and I really enjoyed it. And so while Thanksgiving is past, uh, we shouldn't stop being thankful. And, uh, and this is just a history, uh, a little bit. This is the uh, Thanksgiving proclamation that Abraham Lincoln gave in 1863, mind you. And uh, boy, how it resonates with today and how important it is. And I want you just to hear this as I read it. It's a Thanksgiving proclamation by Abraham Lincoln. Again, in 1863, it says, It is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God, to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon, to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations are blessed whose God is the Lord. We know that by His divine law, nations like individuals are subjected to punishments and chastisements in their world. May we not justly fear the awful calamity of civil war, which now desolates the land, may be a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people." We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us and have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It has seemed to me fit and proper that God should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in a foreign lands to set apart and observe the last th Thursday of November as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. Boy, what an incredible uh, proclamation that Abraham Lincoln made, 1863. And boy... 
how it needs vocalized throughout our entire country. If that was true in 1863, it's tenfold true uh, today in 2021. And so uh, that, I just thought that was so well worded and well written and, and to think of all things that that was uh, one of our presidents uh, of our country. And uh, what a tremendous piece that he wrote there. And uh, so I just wanted to read that. Really has nothing to do with the message this morning, but uh, I thought that was good. Uh, Genesis chapter 39, let's switch gears and let's go to Joseph, uh, the slave and his life. And uh, as we look at this in Genesis chapter 39, uh, let's read the first few verses and then we'll pray and we'll get into our, our lesson this morning as we look at the character of Joseph. Genesis 39 verse 1, the Bible says, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him and made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. Let's stop right there and let's pray. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. God, we truly we do thank you for uh, your many blessings that you have blessed our country with. And God, uh, we are not ignorant of the fact, we as Christians, we gathered right here in your house, are not ignorant of the fact, Father, that you truly have blessed our country. And, and the blessings and the uh, many things that we have truly have come from you. God, as we look into your word, we look at the character of Joseph this morning. And God, I pray that you would even help us to be thankful and grateful for the many blessings that we have in our life. And uh, God, I pray that we would have the character uh, that Joseph has had in his life and is uh, displayed throughout Scripture. God, I pray that you would help us uh, to live uh, with the character that he had. And God, we'll be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at Joseph and his life uh, as a slave, we saw last week that he was a, the son of Jacob in his old age, really. And, uh, and in Genesis 37, it really covers all of that. And you'll remember that uh, he had the colorful code and that he was in a position, uh, really, of authority, uh, going to constantly check on his brothers and check on the flocks and check on how everything was going. And he would report back uh, to his father Jacob, uh, which was... Was, his name was changed to Israel, so you'll read throughout there, Israel. But if you were reading through, uh, you would read chapter 38, and it would break from the story of Joseph, and it would go uh, into another story uh, of Judah, one of Joseph's brothers. And it would almost seem as though it's out of place, but I can assure you this, it is not out of place. Uh, matter of fact, I was amazed when uh, this was brought out that, uh, that hey, this is a, a great picture, really, of, of Joseph is a picture of Jesus. He is not Jesus, okay? He's just a foreshadowing and a picture of looking forward of things to come. We mentioned that last week, uh, but uh, we see that uh, chapter 38 really is a picture of sin, the sin nature of man. 
And you say, well, how so is that? Uh, well, you know, Adam is pictured as the sin nature of man. He, the Bible talks about that in Romans chapter 5. Uh, by one man, sin is entered in the world and death by sin. Uh, and then he goes on in Romans chapter 5 and he says, uh, as sin was entered into the world by one man, uh, so righteousness was entered into the world by one man, Jesus Christ. And he talks about that. And so you have that same portrayance in Genesis chapter number 38. You have the sin nature of Judah. And then in Genesis 39, you have uh, the righteousness of Joseph that is being portrayed. It's really an amazing parallel that is written there and brought out. Uh, go back with me just one chapter. We're not going to spend a lot of time in chapter 38, but I want you to see these things as we see the picture of the sin nature of man. In verses 6 and 7, you can just kind of note them there. Uh, the Bible talks about Judah's son. His name was Ur, E-R, all right? He probably didn't have much trouble learning to spell that. Um, sometimes I'm amazed at some of the Bible names, and, uh, uh, and they're just different. But uh, Ur was his son, and, and Ur was, was wicked. Matter of fact, he was so wicked, uh, the Bible says in those verses that God slew him. Look with me there in verse number 6. The Bible says, And Judah took a wife for, for Ur, his firstborn, whose name was Tamar. And Ur... Judah's firstborn was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. So uh, Judah's children, obviously, uh, were, well, at least Ur, for, for the account that we have here, was a wicked person so bad that the Bible makes it a point to bring out the fact that, hey, God slew Ur because of his wickedness. You go on, and, uh, and you'll find that uh, in verses 8 through 10 that, uh, that his brother was to go in and raise up seed of his wife for Ur's name. And, uh, and his brother absolutely did not want to do that. And this is the adult Sunday school class. And so I just want us to understand that some people will take this passage and they'll say, hey, uh, that's birth control. Uh, no, it doesn't deal with birth control. It deals very specifically with the fact that Ur's brother did not want to raise up seed to his brother's name. That's what the Bible says. And it came up such a point of contention that the Bible says that the Lord slew his brother as well. And, uh, and, and God had judged uh, his brother. And, and that goes on. And, and so we see all kinds of wickedness going on in the family of Judah. But as you go down throughout the story, uh, you'll find later on in verses uh, 15 and 16 that Judah actually commits adultery with his daughter-in-law. And, uh, and you're saying, man, that's quite a, quite a chapter. Yeah, it really is. And there's a lot of sin and there's a lot of judgment going on in that chapter. And what I'm simply saying is uh, it's interesting to note, hey, that is the sin nature that God is uh, talking about. That is the sin nature that is being judged. Now you contrast that with Genesis chapter 39 that we're in. And you're going to find that there is, there's temptation, there's, there's sexual uh, temptation that is placed in front of Joseph, but he lives a righteous life. You contrast that with all that took place in Genesis chapter 38, and you realize, hey, here's the sin nature, and here's the righteous way to live. 
And so there's a real contrast between those two chapters. And I just want us to understand and see that that exists there. Because uh, as I did, I was reading through and, and I, I read Genesis 37. And we're all about Joseph and how he gets sold into Ishmaelite. And turn the page in chapter 38 and it's like breaks from the story. And you're like, wait a minute, what happened to Joseph? Uh, but I do want us to see that parallel and that contrast that exists in that chapter, and it's very relevant uh, to, Ge to Genesis chapter 39 as we step into the next page of Joseph's life. Now, I want you to notice in, jo in Genesis 39 that uh, uh, jo the Bible picks the story back up. So to refresh our memory, uh, re uh, to remind you that back in Genesis 37, uh, Joseph's brothers hated him and they sold him to a band of Ishmaelites that were traveling down to Egypt. Now in chapter 39, that band of Ishmaelites has arrived in Egypt and when they did, uh, they put Joseph up for sale. And, uh, and I want you to notice uh, a few things about this. I want you to put yourself just for a moment in Joseph's shoes. What did Joseph do wrong? Well, he didn't do anything wrong. Um, and, and not that's listed, not that we know of. And, and so uh, his brethren hated him, sold him into slavery. By the way, they wanted, actually wanted to kill him. So he kind of got off better than if he'd have died. But, uh, but, but here he is. Now, I could imagine Joseph, as he's probably chained up as a slave traveling with those Ishmaelites. I don't know how it would have been, but, but could you imagine what is going through his mind at this time? He, maybe he didn't even speak the language that they spoke. Maybe he's just, you know, he doesn't even know what's going on. Maybe he doesn't even know what's going to befall him. Maybe he's uh, concerned and thinking, man, what are they going to do with me? And, and this is my life. And, and, and maybe he's thinking, well, this is what I get for doing right and living right. We don't know what's going through his mind. Uh, but I can tell you this, based on chapter 39, we can see the providence of Joseph's circumstance. The providence of Joseph's circumstances. Sometimes when hard times fall your way and you're, and, and you're sure it's not because of sin in your life and you have no choice but to take the providence of God in your life. The life of Joseph is a great example of that. The life of Job uh, is a great example of that. I finished up my Bible reading and so uh, I started over and I, I usually read a little bit in Genesis and then I, I usually read all the, um, the Psalms and Proverbs, all the books of wisdom, the poetical books they call them. So I started in Job and, uh, and I read Job 1 and Job 2 and, and then I read a little bit in the Gospels as well and, and through the New Testament. But uh, I, I just read Job and, and I'm constantly reminded when you read about Job's life and how he, uh, how he did nothing wrong. And yet you want to talk about hard times, hard times fell his way. And, uh, and sometimes uh, when, when things don't go our way, it's good for us to be mindful of the fact that, hey, maybe God is doing something that we can't see. In Joseph's life, he was reminded of the fact that God was moving and God was doing something that he was not able to completely see or understand. 
We've read the li- I've read the life of Joseph. I know how it ends. I know where it goes. Uh, but Joseph was living it day by day. He didn't know how it was going to end. He didn't know the next turn. He didn't know the next pitfall. He was just trying to uh, work his way through life and understand it. And I want you to notice here in these verses uh, the providence of Joseph's circumstances and how God was working. Look there in verse number 1. We can see the warden. That he went to work for. The Bible says in, Je- in Genesis 39.1, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. Potiphar was, you take all the little information that you get out of that verse. Potiphar was an officer of Pharaoh. In other words, hey, he worked closely with Pharaoh. Matter of fact, he was in charge of the king's guard. And so uh, he would have been right there, uh, you know, day by day. Uh, hey, king, we, we've got the guards that are coming, and, and this, these are the guards that are on this shift. And, and I mean, he would have been just responsible for that. The guard or the king may have said, hey, listen, on such and such a day, I'm going to have a, a parade, and I'm going this direction, and, and you need to make sure that you've got my guard detail in order, and that they're going in the right direction, and they know where we're going to end up. And They know how we're going to show up and and all of those things. So uh, the fact that that God had brought it all the way down and that this very man, Potiphar, had bought Joseph was really the handiwork of God. And it is amazing to watch that. And it's good for us to be mindful of that. Uh, He was also very familiar with the king's prison. Look with me at verse number 20. We'll kind of jump ahead there. It says, And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in prison. So when Joseph does end end up going to jail, uh, listen, uh, the king, or Potiphar rather, was familiar with that prison because he was the king's guard. And if there were problems, uh, then the people that he would capture would not go to the regular prison, but they'd go to the king's prison. And so all of this is kind of, we know, pointing to where Joseph is heading. But remember, Joseph doesn't know this. He's living this day by day. And you can see that God's hand is working. And uh, and it's good for us to remember, hey, when things aren't going well for us and we don't understand what all the problems are and what all the difficulties are, we ought to be mindful of the fact that God says this in Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. And Joseph certainly was uh, somebody who loved God. We saw that in chapter 37 that we looked over his life. Joseph was somebody that was called according to his purpose. We saw that uh, in, in chapter 37 in the fact that God had spoken directly with Joseph and given him dreams and visions and talked with him and explained to him. And sometimes when things do not go our way, we need to be mindful of the fact that God may be working. And maybe God is going to bring us into an area uh, that that we're not familiar with so that he can use us in a way uh, that's special. Not only that, I want you to notice uh, the word. Now I want you to notice the work that Joseph was doing. Look there in verse number 2. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, 
the Egyptian. Verse number 3, And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hands. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. Joseph was a good worker. Uh, I want you to understand that. Joseph probably didn't go there. And on day one, Potiphar said, yeah, you look like a nice young man. I think I'll put you in charge of everything. That's probably not how it happened. We don't have the details, but it would be logical that Potiphar would get this new guy. Just brand new. I mean, he doesn't know him, doesn't know where he came from, doesn't know what he had done to deserve to be sold into the slave trade business or whatever. Uh, but, but he says, listen, here, buddy, here's what you're going to do. You go start out in the yard, start picking weeds all along that fence line. All those weeds, they didn't have a weed eater. Go pull all those weeds. Give them the most menial task. I mean, that's what you would do with somebody who's new that doesn't know anything. You wouldn't put them in charge of everything. Say, here, run the company. No, he started him at the bottom, and he said, hey, you start here and start doing this. Now, it would be mindful for us to remember that Joseph, back with his brethren, he was in charge. He wore a coat of many colors. Uh, he was responsible to go out and check and make sure, hey, the flocks are doing good, and my brothers are doing good, and everything's going well, and to report back to his father. And now he's thrown to the very bottom rung of the ladder, if you could say it that way. And he's saying, man, and... I want you to notice the work ethic of Joseph. Joseph could have very well said, man, I don't deserve to be here. I'm not picking those weeds. I don't care what happens. He could have said, I am not going to work. He could have used every excuse. And, and by the way, he probably would have been right in the excuses that he used. But it wouldn't have been a right work ethic. And that's not who Joseph was. And we find that Joseph did work. And for, uh, for everything, uh, we see that Joseph was a diligent worker, so much so uh, that, that Potiphar notices right away, man, Joseph is efficient in the work that he's, he's doing. He's good at the work that he's doing. He does what he's told, and I see that he is advancing and, and doing everything. And so uh, he, he sees very quickly that God is with Joseph, and Joseph has a great, uh, great work ethic. And he works at what he's doing. And, uh, and so he eventually uh, takes and, and elevates him and gives him um, a promotion in what he's doing. And so we can see just the providence of Joseph's circumstances as he's here. Uh, the person that he goes to work for, the warden, and the work that he does as he's there working with, uh, with Potiphar. I want you to see as well, and I've kind of got into this, is the performance of Joseph's duty. We could spend all day here, to be honest with you. Um, most people, most people, you can mark this down, most people in your life will experience injustice, unfair, abuse, inequality, or discrimination of some sort in your own personal life. It's just going to happen. Why does it happen? Because we live in a sin-cursed world. That's why it happens. And, and, and everyone experiences that. One of the things my dad used to say all the time is he would say, life's not fair. 
It's not. And the sooner you learn that life is not fair, the sooner you come to terms and accept those terms and say, you know what, life isn't fair. Uh, and so I'm going to do the best I can with the injustices and, and the uh, abuses that are dealt me. I'm going to do the very best that I can in spite of all of those things. Boy, what an example Joseph was in that area of character. Because life's not fair. And there's a lot of uh, things that go against us. Uh, we can see the welfare uh, of Joseph in verse number two as we read that. You can see that the presence of God is in his life. Uh, listen, Joseph was concerned about God's presence in his life. Uh, it says there in verse number two, and the Lord was with Joseph. Listen, it doesn't matter what circumstances you go through. It doesn't matter what hardships are thrown your way. It doesn't matter what difficulties have been dealt in your life. The fact of the matter is you should concern yourself with the presence of God in your life. Not dwell on the hardships. Listen, everyone has hardships. And sometimes we look at those and sometimes we get discouraged about those. But we ought to be focused on, hey... Uh, God is with me and God will help me. And the fact that God is very aware of where you are. Uh, in Exodus 33, 15, Moses said this and he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us up hence. I'm sorry, I think that was Joseph at the very end of, of the book of Exodus or Moses. I'm not sure which one it was, but uh, he said, If thy presence go not with me, carry us up, carry us not up hence. You know what he was saying? He was saying, I want God's presence with me. And if God's presence isn't going in the direction that I'm going, then I don't want to go that way. Hey, we ought to be concerned with God's presence. We find that in this passage, where Joseph is at, though he was dealt a, a difficult hand, though things did not go well for him, that God was with Joseph. Know that we'd be concerned with God being with us in our life. Not only that, I want you to notice uh, the welfare of Joseph, but the witness of Joseph. Look in verse number three. And his master saw what, that the Lord was with him. You know, lost people can recognize and can see the fact that, hey, this person's saved or, or this person is a Christian, or maybe they would say it this way, this person goes to church, and this person is a good worker, does their job, and man, they're doing well at it. And, and, and we can see that uh, because of this uh, performance that Joseph was doing, that he lived right, and that he was doing right, and that he worked hard, uh, that he had a good witness with his boss. And his boss said, man, uh, the Lord's with this guy. Uh, I mean, that's what it says there. His master saw that the Lord was with him. He can see the blessing of God on Joseph's life, and he could see the effects of that. And because of that, he gives him a promotion. I love these verses. You can jot them down in Psalm 75, verses 6 and 7. Uh, you can just get, jot those down, Psalm 75, 6 and 7. The Bible says, For promotion cometh neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God... God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. It'd be good for us to recognize, hey, that God 
is the one that promotes people. God is the one that elevates people. And, and so many times we forget that. Uh, and listen, God can work through circumstances, and I've seen God work through circumstances. I've heard plenty of testimony of, of, of God working and saying, hey, uh, you know, this person would, should have got a promotion, didn't, up get it, didn't end up getting the promotion, but then later uh, the person that got promoted got fired because they did something wrong. They weren't the person that should have got the promotion to begin with. And then we find out, oh, then this person ended up getting a promotion in the end. And I'm just saying God has a way of dealing things out and, and, and working things out. And here in Joseph's life, that becomes very evident that if we'll do our part and we'll make sure that, hey, we're walking with God and we're working to the best of our ability, that God will take care of the rest. You don't have to worry and fret about all of those details. You worry more about being with God, worry more about walking with God, worry more about working to the best of your ability and let God handle the rest. And so we find that uh, the witness of Joseph, he was a good witness in his workplace because his words matched his testimony. They're, they went hand in hand there. And his boss could clearly see that. I want you to notice as well, not only the, uh, the welfare, the witness, but I want you to notice the wisdom of J Joseph. I talked a little bit about this. I kind of got ahead of myself, but, but uh, Joseph very well could have complained. He could have been despondent. And listen, sometimes in our life, when things don't go our way and, uh, and we get upset, man, we're tempted uh, to complain. What's that song? Um, I just came through my mind. Uh, we're tempted to complain and, and da, 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 dismay. I can't remember the tune. But anyways, uh, it, there's a song that gives us very words. And, and that's so often our temptation is to mope in a corner. Oh, poor, woe is me, poor me, and all the, all the hardship that I endure. Listen, Joseph could have done that, but Joseph didn't do that. And Joseph is a, uh, was wise for not doing that and not sulking in a corner, but rather doing the duty. You see that uh, he had started, and as I mentioned, he probably started at the bottom, and, and, and as he was given tasks, and as he did a great job with those tasks, and he was efficient and worked hard, and he was diligent, we see, hey, that eventually Potiphar, Put him up in charge of everything. The Bible says there in verse number um, two, at the very end, he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Nope, that wasn't it. It was at the end of four. And all that he had, he put into his hand. We see the worth of Joseph. Obviously, uh, his boss noted that. His boss saw it in his life. And he said, man, this guy's worthwhile and, and, uh, and I'm going to bless him. And I'm sure, I have no doubt, that even Potiphar's house was blessed because of Joseph's work that he did and because of the influence that Joseph had as he worked there. We see all of this in these first few verses, but the whole rest of the chapter is really dedicated to the, uh, the proposition uh, of Joseph's temptress. And I want us to look at this because I think it's so important and there's a great uh, lesson on the temptation that was given to Joseph. This, jo this, this chapter uh, is not just about his work ethic, not just about the fact that he was right when things didn't go his way and that he worked hard and he was diligent and all of those that go with that and the fact that God prospered Joseph. But I want you to see as well that there was a great temptation and a great lesson 
of temptation that takes place in chapter 39. And, uh, and I want you to notice this, the ways of her temptation. Look there, uh, this is the ways of her, even the, the fact that she was tempted. Look with me in verse number 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, lie with me. And, and there was a very visual temptation even to her that she was tempted by Joseph. And, uh, and listen, uh, the world and the devil is constantly putting things visually in front of us that should not be there. And in 2021, you can mark it down. It is far more prolific than it ever was back in Joseph's day, back, than it ever was even in Paul's day. Uh, because uh, I'm telling you with, with TV, with the internet, with cell phones that everyone has and carries with them and they, uh, everything that can show up right there. And I'm just telling you and billboards that are plastered everywhere. And it seems like the direction of our nation and those that are in charge of the media that is put out, puts perversity everywhere. And they're driving towards that. And there is certainly visual temptation. By the way, that's nothing new. If you go back all the way to Genesis chapter number 3 and verse number 6, you'll find that the Bible says, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eye. It's not a new playbook. It's not a new temptation. It's been around since the beginning of time. The first thing that the devil did besides twist the words of God was he put in front of Eve a very beautiful fruit. And he said, man, this is really beautiful. Doesn't that look delicious? Until her mouth started watering. And then he puts, uh, then Joseph is in front of uh, the mistress of Potiphar, uh, Potiphar's wife. And, and, uh, and we find that, hey, she's looking at him thinking, wow, you know, Joseph's a pretty good looking young man. And, uh, and there's a temptation. And I'm just telling you that in our world today, it is no different. There will be visual temptations that will take place. We've got to be so careful in our life. Uh, what about Lot? You think about that when he was tempted. The Bible says uh, that Abraham and Lot were together. And Abraham said, look, at, you know, your herdsmen and my herdsmen, they shouldn't be fighting. There shouldn't be strife between us. He said, I tell you what, you pick which way you want to go and I'll go whatever way that you don't go and the Bible says and Lot lifted up his eyes and looked unto Sodom and Gomorrah that it was well watered and a plain to be desired you know what he allowed his visual uh, to affect what he wanted and the desires of his heart so much so uh, that we find later in Lot's life I just read this morning about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah that Lot was turned and he lived in Sodom and Gomorrah and I'm just saying there is visual temptation that we have got to be so careful of. And, and people have been corrupted uh, by visual temptation and TV advertisements and Internet. We have got to be so careful of it. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4, uh, right around verse 23, he says, God, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. I've preached a message out of that chapter many times and you go back and the doors to that heart, there's two door gates at least that are directly affect your heart. One is the eye, what you see. That's why he says, uh, that's why he says keep your eyes focused on the Word of God. And the second is the ears, the things that you hear. 
And those will go into your heart and they'll affect the way you think and the way you uh, live your life. And I'm just saying there was a visual temptation that took place. I'm sure that it was the opposite. I'm sure that there, there was the same visual temptation for Joseph uh, as he was there. And I'm just saying it was a visual temptation. There's a verse, there's versatility in temptation. You know, temptation comes in many forms. And, uh, and Joseph could have very well been tempted uh, with, with doubt or with depression uh, in the earlier times. I mean, as he was traveling, but now he's tempted with delight. And so there's many ways that temptation will come at you. And we need to be aware of the versatility of temptation because it's not always just one way and one direction, but there's many ways that temptation will enter our life. And we must be aware of that. And so we see the versatility. We see the visual of temptation. I want you to see the, uh, the vulnerableness of Joseph. The timing. Listen, Joseph had climbed to success at this point. I mean, he started at the base, probably working out in the garden, probably working with the animals. I don't know what he did, but, but God was with him and he worked his way up. And Joseph probably wasn't tempted uh, earlier on with all of this, but we find, hey, when he's risen to the place that he's in charge, now the temptation comes. And listen, timing sometimes has a lot to do with temptation. And we ought to just be aware and recognize uh, that, that temptation will come uh, at a time when we're vulnerable and at a time when we're accessible. And, and, and Joseph was accessible at this time. Perhaps he looked more appealing because he was in charge of things. Perhaps he looked more appealing because God was with him. Uh, we do know that the Bible says in the book of Proverbs uh, that the adulteress will hunt the precious life. And I'm just saying that, hey, there are, uh, there are times that temptation will be greater. The validity of the temptation. Listen, this temptation didn't come dressed up as the devil himself. She didn't put on little red horns and a little red suit and say, hey, uh, why, don't we go, why don't we go do bad things? That would, you'd say, no, that's sin, obviously. Listen, sometimes it'll come, temptation will come so subtly in our life. And you wouldn't even recognize it, and you wouldn't even realize it, that we must guard against those things. And then I want you to notice this as well, that temptation is vicious. It's persistent. Look with me at verse number 10. And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph, day by day. This was not just once. This was persistent, that it was constantly attacking him, constantly uh, uh, trying to get him to sin. Day by day, he, he endured that temptation, and he was, he was trying to stay right, and he was do, trying to live right. And he goes on, it says, not unto her, uh, in verse number 10, day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. We find not only the vicious, that it's persistent, but it's deceitful and it's very aggressive. And sometimes, listen, temptation will be a very aggressive in your life. We need to be very careful. Joseph has a, a phenomenal uh, reaction to this temptation. And, uh, and, and it says there, look with me at verse number 12, Joseph was decisive. 
we find the Bible says in verse number 12, go back to verse number 11. We'll just read this for context sake. The Bible says, and it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business. And there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand uh, and was fled forth that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them saying, see, how, see he hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me and I cried with a loud voice and it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. Boy, look at, the, look at the story that was weaved. And Joseph was just trying to do right. And you can see that Joseph was decisive. He said, man, I'm out of here. Uh, you can underline those words in verse number 12 because they're so good. He says, and fled and got him out. Listen, the, the best thing that you can do for temptation is get away from it. The Bible says in 1 Timothy, I was going to look the verse up and I forgot. It says, flee youthful temptation. And what a, what a great verse and what a great example of that. The fact that Joseph said, man, I am out of here. And he fled when she grabbed his coat. Uh, just imagine, you know, a suit coat. I'm sure it wasn't a suit coat. Um, and it's interesting. Let me just stop here and say this, that when Joseph was in charge uh, at his father's house, his father gave him a coat of many colors. That, of course, was destroyed. And as he rose to the top here in Potiphar's house, apparently he was given yet another coat. Not maybe of many colors, but a coat nonetheless to symbolize that, hey, he was in charge of everything. And so when he was there uh, with perhaps a suit coat or some form of coat uh, that, that, that she grabbed onto it, and man, he, he, he took it off and fled. He was like, I am out of here. No, this ain't happening. And he got away from that. Look at verse number eight. We can see Joseph's honesty. As we see him warring against this temptation, he said in verse number eight, uh, verse number seven, we'll go back there for context. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eye upon Joseph and she said, lie with me. In verse number eight, but he refused and said unto his master's wife, behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house and he hath committed all that he hath to my hands. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but Thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this sin or this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph was very honest. He said, listen, I'm, I'm in charge, but you're his wife and that's out of bounds. And by the way, sex outside of marriage is sin. That's just what that's Bible. Uh, and we could go through many verses and, and cover that. And it needs to be clarified. It needs to be said because that's what God said. And Joseph was avoiding that. And Joseph was running from that. And Joseph was honest as he confronted that and said, I am not going to do that. And he was very discerning. You look there in verse number 9 at the very end. He says, how then can I do this great wickedness and, this, and sin against God? Not only was he concerned about uh, doing wrong against his boss, but he was just as concerned about probably more concerned, maybe I could say it that way, about doing wrong against God. 
Boy, we need a people that are concerned about doing wrong against God. Because God is everywhere. God sees everything. God is the final judge. And if we'd be concerned about sinning against God, man, how our life would change. We see Joseph was decisive. He was honest. He was discerning. He was dedicated to doing what was right. And he was separated as he left. And of course, the story that the wife weaved and said, oh, it was Joseph. He was all wrong. He was coming after me. And we find that Joseph was then taken and thrown in prison. And listen, sometimes you'll do right and you'll pay for it and you'll suffer for it. And you'll say, that, that's not right. Why am I suffering? I, Joseph didn't do anything wrong in this passage. Joseph was 100% right in what he did in fleeing and getting out and telling her very frankly that I am not going to do this and this is not right. It goes against God. It goes against my boss. It goes against everything. And we find that Joseph was punished because of doing what was right. And listen, sometimes you'll find that, that, there, that you'll suffer for doing what is right. As long as you're doing what is right, and you know I'm not being obnoxious and I'm not being a jerk and I'm not being uh, unkind. I'm trying to do what is right. That was the case with Joseph's life. And he paid a price for it. But again, we'll go right back to the fact that Joseph, that, that God was working in Joseph's life. If Joseph hadn't landed here in Potiphar's house, he would have never ended up in the king's prison. If he would have never ended up in the king's prison, he wouldn't have met the baker and the, and the other fella uh, that, that was there in the prison. And he would have not been brought to the king, Pharaoh's, attention in Egypt. And I'm just saying that God moves many times in very mysterious ways. And you look at it and you say, man, it's not fair and it's not right. And listen, just know that you're right with God. Know that you're in the presence of God and follow him. And flee temptation in your life and you'll find, listen, just leave the results up to God. Because sometimes God does stuff and you're like, I don't understand. Just know that you're walking with God. Just be sure that you're in his presence. Just be sure that you're living right and you're doing right. And that you've not done wrong in your life. And that uh, leave everything else up to God. And God will work in amazing ways if you'll trust him. And if you'll follow him with your life. With every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet. Father, we thank you for the life of Joseph. What an incredible, incredible, incredible testimony. God's such a simple lesson, such a simple chapter in all reality, but yet it's difficult living. God, I pray that you would help us to live right. I pray that you would help us to be very aware of temptation and to stand against temptation as Joseph did and to do what is right as Joseph did. God, I pray that you would help us. I pray that you'd strengthen us. And God, as maybe things don't go our way or maybe things don't go right for us, I pray that we would maintain our focus on you in everything. And God will thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. As the piano begins to play, if God's spoken to your heart, the altar's open.